Heart Takes, Not Hot Takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guests today are the greatest rock and roll tag team since the Rock and Roll Express, have never lost a Hell in the Cell match, and are joining me today via the unknowable mystery that is the World Wide Web. They have booted up their laptops and probably infected my computer with a ton of viruses in hopes of crashing the systems of everyone who disparaged the 1995 digital crime thriller Hackers. Everyone is wrong, but Kate Meisner and Mike Falcone of Jobber aren't. Thanks for coming on, Kate and Mike. Uh, Great introduction. Right on. How's it going? It's going great. How are things with Jobber the band? Things are going well. We are uh, playing playing the gigs around Brooklyn mm-hmm. and gearing up to go to South by Southwest. Playing the game, you know. Yeah. We are recording an album, responding to lots of emails, and on the internet sometimes. Doing some hammer, <laughs> some hammer-ons and some- Out like, in the streets. Yeah. Um, bending the, the- Giving people DDTs and stunners as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. For those unfamiliar with Jobber, they released an EP last year called Hell in a Cell, which is, I think, I, I'll go out on a limb and say the greatest EP of 2022 that has Mick Foley introducing the EP. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm fairly confident about that. What an honor, by the way. Someone um, referred to us online as the best active power pop band that is wrestling themed. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. However many clarifiers you need in order to get definitely the best. <laughs> best is best. So, but yeah, check out uh, Jobber Music. We'll get back to that in plugs. But let's like dive into the internet cyberspace that is Hackers. Hackers is a 1995 teenage digital crime thriller directed by Ian Softley with a screenplay by Raphael Morneau. The film stars Johnny Lee Miller as Dade Murphy, hacker name Crash Override, and Angelina Jolie as Kate Libby, hacker name Acidburn. Their crew of New York City high school hackers includes Matthew Lillard, Emmanuel, Renoy Santiago, Ramon, Lawrence Mason, Paul, and Jess Bradford, Joey. The film's antagonists are Fisher Stevens as Eugene Belford, hacker name The Plague, and Lorraine Bracco as his white-collar beau, Margot. The plot starts when Dade is an 11-year-old living in Seattle and executes one of the greatest hacks in history, taking out 1,507 computer systems, including the New York Stock Exchange. He pretty much gets off with a slap on the wrist, but is banned from using computers until he's 18. When he reaches this age, he and his mother relocate to New York City, where he enrolls in a new high school. The first person who talks to them there is Kate, Angelina Jolie's character, and he is immediately smitten by her. When he hacks into the school computer system to change it so that he's in her classes, it catches the attention of Ramon, who invites Dade to their sick hacker club, where he falls in with Ramon, Emmanuel, Paul, and Joey. When Joey tries to impress the other guys by hacking into the Gibson, the supercomputer of Ellington Mineral Corporation, he attempts to take a garbage file as proof of his escapade and gets part of it downloaded, But the corporation's computer security officer, Eugene Belford, thwarts his efforts and gets Joey arrested. It turns out the file that Joey was trying to grab on a whim was actually a worm virus installed by Belford to siphon off microtransactions by Ellington Mineral, which will eventually net 
he and Margot $25 million. To cover his tracks, he installs a virus that could cause the corporation's oil tankers to capsize and blames the hacking on the high school kids. When Dade keeps trying to woo Kate, eventually their paths cross with Eugene, and they must combine their powers of hacking to clear their names and bring the real criminal to justice. (sighs) (laughs) Hackers was released in theaters on September 15th, 1995, and was a flop at the box office, making only $7.5 million against a $20 million budget. So, Kate and Mike, what was your personal experience with Hackers? How did this movie sort of first come into your life? Sure. So... I, um, around 2011, dabbled in the online internet art scene, Mm -hmm. um, which was um, a group of artists predominantly working with mediums like animated GIFs before they were ubiquitous and making weird avant-garde sort of abstract conceptual art using like Photoshop and, and various online mediums. And it really harkened back to the mid-90s. So there were a lot of references in the community made to the movie Hackers because the aesthetic of Hackers was really aligned with like the internet art aesthetic Mm -hmm. in 2011, which became like completely mainstream, you know, like animated GIFs flying around of like 3D dogs and stuff, things like that. Right. And also sort of like the cyberpunk aspect of it. There was something very like that felt very lawless and punk about internet art, even though it was 2011 and the internet was controlled by, you know, a variety of ISPs. Yeah, that was my first brush with it was like references to hacking the Gibson. And I was like, what's going on? Also, I should really see this movie since this is an interest of mine. Not hacking, but like the internet, early aughts of the internet aesthetic, I suppose. Right. When your whole subculture is referencing something and you are like, ah, yeah, that. Uh, I should probably go check that out so that I'm not (laughs) so out of the loop. That was a really long winded way of how I got to the movie but then I saw it and I was like this is incredible I really like cheesy over the top movies Mm -hmm. but I really changed my tune on it and I think it's truer to reality than I had originally thought you could have a point there yeah I'll get into that later (laughs) I don't think I saw it until five years ago yeah I think I I possibly introduced you to hackers yeah probably I guess I've uh, I have like lots of old tapes from late '90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. VHS tapes, and I have I guess pretty strong memories of um, like tech TV from way way a long time ago, and um, I think maybe FX or I forget what the other channel was where they would sometimes have like live cable and technology long technology TV shows, and also kind of that combined with like the pre millennial tension mm-hmm. is a uh, a level of nostalgia in itself that um, now seems pretty funny in retrospect. And finding artifacts from that time is uh, has always been kind of interesting to me and fascinating to me. Like I have, there's a lot of these, but I have at least one VHS about like what to do on January 1st, 2000 at midnight in case uh, all of the computers <laughs> right. start to crash out of nowhere. And um, it's great. It's a fascinating video. I wish I could find more of them. Uh, Stuff like that is interesting to me. And so this movie really appealed to kind of the same area for me. And as for myself, 
like many of the movies on this podcast, I saw it because it was the topic suggested for this episode. So these are all my first viewing thoughts when we get to them. As far as the critical reception of Hackers goes, Hackers sits at 31% on Rotten Tomatoes, slightly higher among top critics at 44%, but does have a positive audience score at 68%. That makes sense. Owen Gilberman of Entertainment Weekly wrote in his D-grade review, It would be nice to describe this second feature directed by Ian Softley, who made the terrific backbeat, as a noble failure. In fact, it's a dismal mess. The plot, which centers on attempts of Dade, Johnny Lee Miller, the cute new whiz on the block to defeat an evil corporate hacker called The Plague, Fisher Stevens, doing his best impersonation of Michael Douglas's jowls, has all the coherence of a scrambled disc. The characters, with their coyly self-satisfied techno-patter, are like John Hughes rejects. What's most grating about Hackers, however, is the guileless way the movie buys in to the computer kid as elite rebel mystique, currently being peddled by magazines like Wired. The heroes are viewed as saintly multicultural avatars of a brave new egghead world, when in fact a more accurate portrait of today's online youth would revolve around some dweebish adolescent downloading photographs from Penthouse. Multiple critics couldn't get past the thriller being about typing. Joy Boyer of the Orlando Sentinel actually liked the characters but opined, Hackers works best early on while we're still getting to know all these people. After the mechanics of the thriller plot start to kick in, the film drags, and when it's time for the big cyber showdown, we're stuck once again with footage of frantic typing. In movies, there's only fun and boring, and typing always is the latter. Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune described what he saw as a lack of substance in the writing, and if it sounds like an echo of our recent Speed Racer podcast, you're not wrong. Hack work is what we get from screenwriter Raphael Marno by the numbers events, empty characters, and high concept baloney. Hackers is loud, fast, visually zingy, and imaginative, but it's so shallow and dehumanized that watching it after a while seems like being trapped in a video game that, like the one in Tron, swallows up your life and time. On the positive critical side, the film has become a low-scale cult hit, as we talked about with the positive audience score, though it is sort of that thing where now anybody who's probably going on Rotten Tomatoes to review Hackers is probably somebody who's a fan of Hackers. It does a little bit of that like self-cyclical cycle when a movie's old enough. There are some critics who are also on board with Hackers, too. The most entertainingly confounded review came from the Austin Chronicle's Mark Savlov, who had a truly back-and-forth two-and-a-half-star review but came out slightly on the positive, saying, As always in films of this shape, a marketable soundtrack is half the battle, and in this category at least, Hackers rises above, with a wonderfully well-chosen mix that grabs everything from techno superstars, Orbital, and The Prodigy, to brooding ambience of Underworld and Left Field. Needless to say, the whole thing comes off feeling like a giant 100-plus-minute music video co-sponsored by Sega MTV and Apple Computers. Silly, predictable, and dare I say it, oddly endearing, Hackers is the first film I've seen in a long while that annoyed me so much that I actually liked it. 
But uh, guys, I, I'll give you one guess. I think you listen. Who do you think uh, really liked this movie? What film critic might have enjoyed this movie more than most others? I, I just actually went through a couple. I didn't read too many reviews of this, but um, I read Ebert's review. That's it. It's Roger about, Ebert. About two hours ago. And I was kind of surprised that he was into it. Yeah. So Ebert said, the movie is smart and entertaining as long as you don't take the computer stuff very seriously. I didn't. I took it appropriately as seriously as the archaeology in Indiana Jones. I liked the pacing and energy in the direction by Ian Softley, whose previous film Backbeat was about the early Beatles. I liked ingenious touches like a sequence where two hackers battle to control the programming at a radio station, and we see a duel between two robot cassette machines. I like the way the plague created a virus designed to catch his enemies. And I like the way Kate told Dade, I don't do dates early in the film. That put their relationship on a footing that neatly avoided several obligatory scenes of teenage love cliches. The movie is well-directed, written and acted. And while it is no doubt true that in a real life, no hacker could do what the characters do in this movie, it is no doubt equally true that what hackers do would not make a very entertaining movie. So Kate and Mike, why is everyone wrong about hackers? Entertainment from start to finish. You know, it's one of those things, and I'm speaking very holistically here, um, where if you don't ask questions about the computer stuff and you don't ask questions about the plot, it is a very pleasant movie to watch, both aesthetically and just it's engaging and captivating. That's my summary. It's really fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a very like fun movie. Overall, the summary. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's it's fun. I don't know. I've, I've seen movies that are way more miserable than this one. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I could watch it over and over again and find new details about the set or the world that they've built mm-hmm. to latch onto. Um, and that's something I can't say for a lot of movies. There's a lot of minute details. I, I forget if you uh, said this part of the Ebert review. He says there's a theory that you should you should never see a movie about your specialty. Boxers hate boxing movies. Space buffs don't like Apollo 13. That partially explains why I can't stand movies about music. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, or um, podcasts about music. But at this point, like we're all, you know, everyone's addicted to their phones. We're on the internet all the time. Our knowledge of what's gone, what's happened with technology is, you know, people have a pretty good understanding of it for the most part. Even people with like a low level of understanding, right? you know, can see where the direction that things have gone. And it's very different than the aesthetic of this movie. Yeah. I think it's really funny when things are obviously and ridiculously dated, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially like movies that are supposed to take place in like a technologically advanced or sort of some how futuristic setting. Right. When they get it kind of wrong, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I think that kind of dovetails a lot of those things kind of lead into the first point of defense that you had, which was sort of the aesthetics of the world building and everything involved with the sets and the fashion and all that styling. Yeah, I... I was having this conversation with Mike earlier today because one of the big questions I had as I was thinking about this world that has been built in hackers, and let me just describe this world. There's this like ragtag gang 
of teenagers who apparently attend Stuyvesant High School in New York City because that's totally where they film the high school scenes. <laughs> apparently the pool on the roof joke and prank is something they actually do at Stuyvesant High School, which is fun fact. But I was like in the early 90s where there really these groups of kind of like ragtag, like kind of punk, but a little bit cyber looking <laughs> mm-hmm. like like kids in New York with their with a community that involves like a DIY all ages hacker space that has music and video games. It's kind of like a hacker Dave and Buster's situation. They have their own TV shows about hacking that cater to this audience of teenage hackers. Um, There's music that they listen to. There's an aesthetic, there's a style to them. And my big question was, was this a reference to anything based in reality mm-hmm. or did the producers of this movie create this world for the movie or embellish something that already exists? So this morning, Mike did a little bit of digging and we learned that it's a little bit of both. It's right. somewhat referential There was a hacker community, not necessarily based in New York. In the early 90s, there were these hacker collectives, one named Legion of Doom, might sound familiar, and one called Masters of Destruction. And they were like these ragtag hacker collectives um, who who kind of functioned as a community. Um, There were rivalries between the hacker collectives. However, I don't know if they had their own like Silent Barn or Vera Project or whatever. Right. Yeah. This <laughs> awesome. All the hackers hung out. I don't know club. if they looked cool. There are no pictures of these people <laughs> on the internet. But this movie really made it into this reality where I was like, oh my God, this reminds me of in 2013 going to hang out at Death by Audio, except it's a bunch of kids who like to have LAN parties and sit on their computers and hack. Yeah. The So for those who haven't seen the movie yet, the club that they have is absolutely insane it it reminds me a little bit of in the like first ninja turtles movie how they like the foot clan sets up like the like let's recruit all the like young kids to be our soldiers by having like this cool space with like skating and like arcade machines and it's just like well yeah i would join the foot clan too if that was there and i would join the hacking collective if i had this place where it's like oh there's huge like arcade game VR console things and there's skating ramps and people are just like skating around the building, like rollerblading around the building and playing air hockey and like all this, like they have like shows they had, there was like a concert scene where and it, it seems to be the place where all of the cool cyberpunks hang out in New York city. And it also just seems to be like boys and girls club where it's just like, you can just come in. Like there's not like a cover yeah. or anything. It's just like, yeah, I don't know who runs this, who's in charge of this, how it exists. But so you after know. doing a little bit of digging, I learned that there was a place called At Cafe mm-hmm. in New York City, which I guess like the hacker <laughs> Dave and Buster's DIY space was modeled after this existing like internet cafe called At Cafe. I also couldn't find any pictures of that. So in my mind, like, the reality was a bunch of nerds like sitting at computers having a LAN party yeah. um, with nothing like punk and no skateboarders like <laughs> going off ramps in the background. But there was a reference to some reality. And it turns out 
that they actually had a consultant, a technology consultant, come in and talk about these hacker communities with the producer and yeah, director. That, that actually surprised me. I totally assumed there was almost no consultants for technology or hacking mm-hmm. on this movie at all. My my quick uh, interjection is that I, I wrote down that it looked like the heavy metal bar in Wayne's World combined with the Dave and Buster's. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. it does feel like the overall aesthetic does feel like that weird thing where you're like it's set in the present of like when the movie came out but it also is sort of doing like a here's what we think things will be like 10 years in the future sci-fi kind of stuff like low-grade sci-fi where it's just like this is how you know kids will direct like that back to the future like oh they're gonna be this is the way clothes are gonna be but like not super far out but like a little bit far out yeah, but by that point, it was their internet was kind of more or less a certainty at that point. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a whole lot of like, oh no, is the internet going to be a fad or is it actually going to be this groundbreaking thing that makes everything simpler and 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 more interesting? It was more of a question of when it was going to happen or like how exactly was it going to happen? What was it going to look like? That's where a lot of these really strange mid '90s movies like. The, the possibilities of where it could have gone just were kind of bizarre in many cases. This was actually probably one of the better, the ones that came a little bit closer, if anything. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I don't think I could talk about this world building point without making references to fashion. Yes. Because what is so interesting is that A lot of the fashions were sort of off the wall. Like each character had their own visual identity. Like, you know, Kate, the character Kate was wearing like these biker outfits, these like all like leather sort of like body cat suits with motorcycle jackets. Yeah, her her fashion, yeah, is all over the place in this movie, but like always like in interesting ways. It's so cool. And at one point she's wearing this like oversized like Jersey Devils yeah. <laughs> jersey. That. And I, I have totally looked for it on eBay. But what's fascinating is that a lot of these fashions hold up today and ended up coming back around and being timeless. Like, for example, the the Marc Jacobs line, Heaven by Marc Jacobs. If you look that up, a lot of the clothing really resembles what like Matthew Lillard was wearing in the movie, which, which is like crazy off the wall. I couldn't tell. It's like almost like a mix of like a burning man aesthetic, mm-hmm. biker aesthetic with like grunge raver. It's like this, <laughs> this like Venn diagram with like three points of like biker burning man and rave. <laughs> yeah. The, the fashion aesthetic in this movie is sort of like, a little bit futuristic, put everything into a blender and like throw it all out. And just like each character, there's so many guys, there are so many like extra belts and vests in this movie. There are a ton of vests. It's vest central, but like some are like also this school that they go to seems to have like no dress code at all, where it's just like Angelina Jolie is just like wearing a hockey jersey and like seemingly nothing else. Uh, there's guys who just wear like vests with like no shirt. No into, shirt like, underneath. In like the in these like most casual, they have like English classes where it's just like there's no order to this. Like there's somebody at the top, but they're just like talking the whole time and going up and 
quoting Ozzy Osbourne lyrics and like it's just like kind of chaos and that's sort of the the fashion style too. Totally. And what's interesting when you said like they put all these different styles in a blender and it sort of spit out this amalgamation of like whatever raver punk biker (laughs) is. Yet all the characters had their own visual identity yet as a group they looked cohesive. Like Mm -hmm. you could tell they were a friend group. And I thought that was really well done. And whoever did the art direction and whoever was like their key costumer nailed that shit. I think it's probably good to dwell a little bit on just the wild assortment just that Angelina Jolie has. I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but she is so much cooler than like every other character in this movie. And the, uh, not that, the, that everybody's not like there's cool characters, but she just sort of like levitates above everybody else in this in that she's sort of this like manic hacker dream girl character who just uh, sort of seems to exist out of time. She'll wear everything from like, as we said, the devil jersey to huge collar jacket. She has this like backpack that is like almost like ribs design in it. There's almost a Carmen San Diego like vest at one point. It's just like all over the place. And it seems like whoever was in charge of wardrobe just had like a blast with her and also of note i love that her character will like rewear things which is something you like never see in movies where it's just like oh yeah she wore that outfit it's days later and it's not like they got lazy it's just like oh no she just loves this shirt so she wore it again good call i didn't i didn't catch that but that's like yeah that's more realistic there's there should be more of that happening in movies yeah and her style is so like it's random yet cohesive like she'll wear a lot of leather like do like a monochrome look like a what like white leather pants with a white leather vest mm-hmm. she also does a lot of like n- like nylons like um like surfing like rash guard type of tops that are like really tiny like sort of mock neck turtlenecks that someone would wear if they were surfing and it all communicates all together it does communicate like hacker cyberpunk right and i'm not sure if that was an existing like style if this was emulating a real thing or if it was created by the art director of this movie that's sort of the like the irony that you're talking about was sort of this it's all this digital early digital things but it was before digital photography so we have like almost no like clear reference things points to like verify it is there a good one sentence definition of cyberpunk? I don't know. I want to read a little bit better. I feel like it's I feel like it's sort of the Supreme Court like pornography, like you know it when you see it. Um but was there a definition of cyberpunk at the time or Ooh. an understanding of what cyberpunk even was? It's it's not a person, it's an aesthetic. It's an aesthetic. It's not a type of person. There's, yeah. no, there's no such thing as a cyberpunk. Right. But there's people that you can point to who it's like, oh, they've got a cyberpunk aesthetic some of the time. So. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Are you are you looking at the cyberpunk definition? Yeah. It's very all over the place. I guess while you're looking that up, I think um, I found, um, so this is related to the world building, I, I believe, um, on Letterboxd, uh, found a really good list that somebody posted called Windows 95 Horror Thrillers in Action. And I think it's a pretty good um, 
wrapping up like the the canon of like the 15 or 20 movies that hackers is sort of like in the center of um that in my opinion kind of like ultimately uh the the high point of that would be the matrix but earlier on i guess a lot more of these movies had to do with virtual reality right i have like free jack lawnmower man sneakers um arcade is the only other one that i think has teenagers in it which is um it was like seth green and one of the my so-called life kids um brain scan the net came out six weeks before hackers did Hmm. which i think is probably the other movie that's as infamous as as hackers as far as like did they get it right or did they get it wrong and then giant mnemonic as existence antitrust yeah those are all in in the phylum of of hackers for sure so i've made some progress over Mm -hmm. here on the definition of cyberpunk being a subgenre of science fiction in a dystopian futuristic setting that tends to focus on a combination of low life and high tech. And I really like that last part. And the Wikipedia article breaks it down into a few different sections, the first of which being style and ethos. Um, And they actually cited Blade Runner as being the quintessential example of the cyberpunk style and theme. There's also, there's just like an aspect of it that has to do with like freedom of speech and thought and information, (laughs) Um, somewhat uh, libertarian politics, I suppose. Um, And then they also talk about the setting, how a lot of it takes place in like cities, more futuristic, postmodernist kind of cityscapes. Los Angeles and New York and Tokyo tend to be the settings. Yeah, that big, like, flashy billboards in, like, Blade Runner and Tokyo, just in general, seems to be part of that. I mean, I think when reading about cyberpunk in the past, I know, like, William Gibson's Necromancer is often referenced as, like, the first, like, big cyberpunk book. But again, it's a book, so it's not uh, as aesthetic. I know some people reference, like, the Judge Dredd comics and things like that. it's, It's sort of this large scaping thing and I, I feel like hackers at least takes a pretty good shot at boiling that down into something that can be you know communicated in a pop culture thriller movie type thing also it's the early 90s in this so there's a lot of rollerblading because that's essential yeah. just for <laughs> non cyberpunk or cyberpunk culture you gotta have the blades oh yeah i should mention that with the skate ramps they are not skateboarding they are rollerblading on those skate ramps <laughs> um, i i think i i want to argue that out of any cyberpunk movie one that um, what kind of movie is hackers that's my next question but it's out of any 95 horror out of any cyberpunk movie i think hackers does the cyberpunk aesthetic and communicates it the most effectively other than maybe the matrix <laughs> right yeah I too, like this this could also be somewhat of an everything is wrong about just that that little 20 or 25 film canon which gets shit on a lot i guess um just because of how wrong they got it but i think hackers might be the example that disproves that more than any other the matrix transcends that so you can't really count that one right Yeah, I mean, I think as far as genre, I think what I called it at the top was like a like cyber crime thriller. I mean, it's got like the elements of sort of 
like a bit of a heist movie, but it's like to thwart something, you know, but it is that like thriller thing where they're like running against the clock and there's like a villain who's like got them cornered and how are they going to get out of this? But it is also like just like a high school hang movie in a lot of ways. Also like a teen action thriller. Yeah. With cyber elements. but <laughs> It's not a clear cut genre. No. It's it's its own little niche, as was the hacking culture at the time. Mm-hmm. So your second point of defense has to do with aesthetics as well, but it's not the visual aesthetics. It would be the sonic aesthetics and the soundtrack of this film. Yeah. You, you got something? Mike did some research on the soundtracks this morning, so I'll let you start this one. The majority of the music is what was at the time called electronica. I don't think anyone's called it that since... It's been a it's been a while. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's now. What does it even mean? Pretty anymore? much exclusively referred to as EDM, and I think that's been the case for well over twenty years now. Electronica is, uh, if you really want to date it, is is being like specifically mid nineties. But that's kind of the soundtrack is almost entirely that. I, there was also like, like mid nineties rave music. Yeah, it really was. They um kind of found a niche in that music that honed in on more like minimal techno um, or whatever minimal techno was at the time. And that, you know, they got some of the big players in that genre, like Underworld and of course Prodigy and also some more like ambient ones like Left Field and um, what was the other one? Orbital. Yeah, yeah. Or- Orbital is definitely on it. And the Orb, who I sometimes get those confused, but that's an easy confusion. <laughs> And something about watching these kids like type with sunglasses on while listening to the orbital song, it really um I, I think it it made the movie more energetic and like helped with the pacing of it because as was mentioned in this review that you read, how do you make typing look interesting? Well, you put sunglasses on a kid and you throw on some prodigy and then you like spin the camera around while they're typing really weird like awkwardly slowly with two fingers (laughs) yeah real the quick aside for that like it's kind of strange that not a single actor in this movie bothered to take a typing class before being in a movie about hacking (laughs) or if they did they took like the one day crash course they they played mario teaches typing for like a couple hours and were like i'm good it doesn't take that long. I don't know. They could have probably learned it pretty good. They're literally like typing with two fingers, like very, but like doing it kind of fast, but I don't know. It just looks inefficient. However, the soundtrack of like Orbital and Prodigy, like that kind of makes it look cooler um, than, than it than it is or would be in reality. But also I think it contributed to that world building, like with the hacker space, like you walk in and there's this sick left field song playing you know, like every subculture, they have a hangout spot, they have a style, they have a genre of music that they gravitate to. And clearly, like, mid 90s rave music was that. Yeah, I think that also fits because there's that, you know, ingrained sort of aesthetic, because, you know, electronica at this time was still like, comparatively to, you know, even like, grudge was happening, but that's, you know, a brand of rock and like electronica is more, you know, getting into the synthetic things and it feels like newer and weirder just in the same way that like, 
you have the internet and hacking and that's new and weird and like things your parents like don't quite understand like they might get like oh nirvana's just like a heavy rock band but they probably want to get like Prodigy. Yeah, it still feels analog. And this, you, as you said, Mike, this is a digital <laughs> forward yeah. movie. There is that one Nirvana poster. In, uh... Yeah, well, D- Dave has sort of grunge posters. I think a couple of different grunge posters in his bedroom, which is kind of funny because it's just like there's that's the one like clash there where it's just like, well, this is cool now. So like, let's put the grunge posters in his room. So that he's like, you know, cool <laughs> enough, like gets in that that thing that he's still like a teenager and rebellious and stuff like that but he's not having like you know orbital posters if orbital posters existed at the time like caking his walls something that mike said this morning that i thought was interesting that i didn't pick up on is that john lydon is on a few of the songs on the soundtrack i think he was doing a a, he did a few collaborations with left field with left field um, the singer of the sox pistols was on this what you said earlier is that you know electronic music was sort of considered the new frontier like the the cutting edge of of music like kind of like like a new uncharted territory that was considered kind of like punk or like avant-garde at the time it wasn't main i guess as mainstream as it is now um and so john lydon gravitated to that shit (laughs) it seemed like um there was definitely an expectation that uh as alternatives started to fizzle out that something was going to take over and a lot of people really tried to push edm uh, or electronica like, <laughs> electronica around like 96 97 yeah it was almost like too early like edm took over another it took another 15 years to get there but like then edm is now like this huge monolith but at the time they were definitely pushing for like these are going to be the next you know big things and and a lot of those groups you know managed to continue and like maintain but it wasn't like a grunge explosion or a new wave explosion at the time it was sort of like this bubbling thing under the surface that eventually grew to you know edm headliners at coachella and stuff the promoters certainly tried i mean they they put uh the prodigy dude on the cover of a lot of magazines mm-hmm. and i think that there was maybe an assumption that just because there was a face that they could attach with prodigy that they'd become like the nirvana right and they tried their best. And I mean, Amp Amp was a cool show, a lot of cool videos. Very digital though, yeah. And it it sounds very zeros and ones as opposed to like guitar music. And I guess 95, 96, like was when America Online started showing up. I think there was an expectation that or I don't know if that was when it showed up, but that was when a lot more AOL CDs started coming in the mail. Right. I think there was an expectation that the ascent of uh, electronica was going to coincide with just like the the, 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 the inter- rise of the internet. The internet and EDM were sort of going to go hand ascend hand, at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. And instead, I think I remember seeing this on the year in rock 1997 that Scott ended up being way more popular by the end of third wave. <laughs> there is a song. Oh yeah, and so the the soundtrack didn't come out till the following summer of '96, and it, that seems like maybe a fair weather decision because there was no certainty that this movie that underperformed at the box office with all electronic artists was going to do well. But once there was interest in that, I guess it made sense for them to put it out a few months later. And then there was a sequel soundtrack that came out in '97. 
and a third one that didn't come out until 1999. Wow. So Perhaps this ended up becoming a movie that was more popular on VHS or on DVDs once DVDs started showing up. And that it seemed either that or just like the band, the, the groups that were on it were more popular by then. So it made sense for them to try and put out a third one. Yeah, that's wild. It seems like almost they should have done the opposite and, you know, release a soundtrack early to try and get more people in if that's the, you know, I think one of the reviews mentioned that it seems like to be like peddling the soundtrack almost more than anything else. But then it... <laughs> wasn't there to be peddled if there is one song i would say i think it's on the second one i think it's definitely not on the first one but the title of the song is literally hack the planet and i think it's just like kick drum on all quarter notes with this like proto dubstep wub wub thing i'm trying to remember i heard it like a couple hours ago there's like a pitch shifted low voice who's like acid burn (laughs) hack the planet is sort of the group's rallying cry I think it was it, it, like it's it's music from and inspired by. I'm pretty sure this is one of the inspired by us. Right. I gotta say it's this soundtrack is really great background music while you're doing a lot of push-ups and like a, <laughs> a p90x video from 2009 <laughs> good to know good to know when you're um when you're trying to get those you know calories burnt off to have the abs of the young teens in this movie you can uh <laughs> put on the soundtrack and go for it Oh yeah, and the the main I believe it's like the the primary like theme of the movie, the the orbital song. Oh, they're playing during the beginning credits.
The credits are really cool. They're like, it's a Manhattan, a very dated Manhattan skyline shot, which I heard somewhere is very dated because the Pan Am building still exists, <laughs> even though it had been the MetLife building since like five years before the movie came out. Yeah, the stock um, footage they used for that aerial shot was, was probably from the really <laughs> dated. <laughs> Um, anyway as they're doing this aerial shot i believe it's that orbital song i don't know but they have this like really cool they have this really cool shot where they're like there's no drones at the time but an aerial shot of manhattan and then the city grid becomes like the internet grid of wires like the information superhighway and it sort of just like like sort of transitions from being um like city streets into like the inside of a computer server or something i think the song might be halcyon it's sick so that covers the sonic space of hackers and then your third point of defense has to do with sort of the visualization of technology in this movie yeah, so I guess my question that leads this talking point is how aware were people of the internet and how it worked at this time? I think like, not did very. Internet? Did people have internet on their household computers at this time? I think some people did. I don't think it was widely, like I definitely did not have internet at my house in at this point. But I think it was, you know, maybe like, you know, a library might have a computer that could connect to the internet, look for, for like almost more research things than like you would think it, it like existed, but it was definitely not internet culture had not like taken hold yet. It was, as Mike said, it was like pre, I think the onslaught of AOL discs. And if it is, it's just like people getting those AOL discs and figuring out how to instant message and, look at news stories and or sports scores and that's probably the extent of it so it, it is sort of I do think this movie sort of sets a template for a way people who are unfamiliar could think about the technology of the time that's exactly my point so I I'm I have questions about how familiar like the producers and again like the graphics and art directors right. were with how the internet worked but I thought they did a really good job of translating the backbone of the internet into like realistic concepts that people can understand. There's actually a term for it called skeuomorphism. Like for example, when Windows came out and there are artifacts that resemble real life things like icons, like files, for example, the trash right. can, Windows. Um, like the paintbrush tool and MS Paint, those all are modeled after real life objects. And that's exactly what the art directors of this movie did by trying to like visualize the internet as an information superhighway um, by like showing it superimposed on the city grid or like in the server room, they were literally showing like light going into different files and like, I don't know. Also, what was interesting is a lot of their hacking, the, the hacks they did impacted physical objects. Like when they did that hack of the broadcast. Earlier. Yeah. Ebert mentioned that in his review. He actually got it wrong. It was a TV robot fight, not a radio robot fight, but sort of like yeah. <laughs> it is 
hacking and just trying to, you know, he's now got computers back. So he's just like hacking into these TV systems and like these robot arms are like changing all the tapes. And then somebody is fighting him about changing the tapes and you figure out who it is later. Yeah. It's just like a very visualization. Like it sort of, I think this movie, a lot of what does is sort of like think what like your parents might imagine the internet would be at that time where it's just like, Oh, like, your kids are going to be on this and it's sort of like video games. You know, you can, you can, you've seen video games. So like, it's sort of like a video game, but they can, once they get the, you know, level done, they can control these robot arms and like mess with the TV or things like that. Yeah, it's sort of like, on the lines or whatever. yeah, you're sort of thrown into the way they visualize it is sort of these, you know, digital effects where it is sort of like almost like that series of tubes you know, internet joke where it's just like, oh, you're in all of this and there's all these numbers flashing around, but like your little icon ha- knows where it's going and will hop into this big brick and that's where you find the files. And it's sort of got that yeah. like image overwhelm, sort of like that gif of like Zach Galifianakis with like the numbers like floating around his head where it's just like, oh, <laughs> there's like so much going on. The mind is awash in things. <laughs> I was thinking of that same meme, like when they're visualizing people sort of like hacking in the cyberspace and there's like all these like equations floating around their head. It's like, I, I, for some reason, I imagined it as Claire Danes being like in the meme and being like, whoa, like, but um, also like, you know, things like explaining what a computer virus was, like actually showing a worm, like eating parts of different files. Um, it did a really good job of communicating that. And it kind of reminded me, I did not like this documentary, by the way, that that documentary about like the algorithm, was it called the algorithm? It was a few years ago. It was talking about the Netflix one, the Netflix documentary. Oh God, it was terrible. Oh, what was it called? Where they, they depicted the social, not the social network, the, the social dilemma, the social dilemma where they they communicated algorithms as like three men in a room, like assessing what this kid likes and dislikes and like pulling levers and showing them extremist, him like extremist content and like skateboarding content (laughs) based on his preferences and, you know, previously expressed interests and sort of getting him into this algorithmic rabbit hole, like visually communicating it. And my, in a way my mom understood, I thought hackers was kind of doing the same thing like and pretty well. These three dudes are in a room looking at everything this one specific guy is looking at on his phone, and they're like, oh, show him emojis. He likes emojis. And they're like, pull the lever, and then like emojis pop up on his phone. Yeah, I think Hackers does a better job than maybe that. It is at least, you know, it is a way to understand computers in a way that's not ones and zeros. It might not be like hyper-realistic, but, you know, again, it's a movie. It's like, oh, maybe... people who are in hacking think this is a very dumb way to visually represent it, but at least it's a way that you can follow it as a casual viewer, especially if you're not internet savvy where, you know, it is, it might be a little straightforward and obvious, but there's enough like moving parts in it that it feels futuristic and techie. You brought up a good question about how, like, historically, when this movie was shot, lines up with 
how much experience did people have yet with the World Wide Web or Netscape Navigator or Internet browsers? It might not have been as commonplace yet. No. Because my first experience seeing anything internet related was not on, it was at a friend's house and they were on BBS boards, which were like localized chat rooms. I think that's what they were. I don't really remember so well. If they were here, they could explain it better. But that seemed pretty cool to me. People were able to like meet up in real life from these like localized communities that could talk together. But it was like strictly text, like white text on a black screen. That's how I remember it anyway. Whereas like Windows, I think they were up to Windows 3.1 probably by the time this movie came out. Probably didn't have Windows. Maybe they had Windows 95. Not sure. Yeah, it was really interesting because it's like at that point in time, you had to go you had to like know what you were looking for on the internet know about something have heard about it via word of mouth or like from I don't know like from somebody else in order to even have a destination or purpose to use the internet so it really wasn't that widespread so that's where that's like where their like point of reference was coming from it's possible this was shot in 94 because if it came out like September 95. Yeah, um, it was probably, it was probably pre-Windows 95 then. Yeah, yeah, probably. It it absolutely was. And it kind of blew my mind that that scene at the beginning where Dade is in court for <laughs> hacking 1,507 <laughs> computers, which um, apparently affected the stock market. It was kind of unbelievable. I was like, how did like a nine or like whatever, a 12 year old kid get access to the internet in 1988? Like, was he really rich? I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I think, I think it was the, I mean, he, he was in Seattle. So I think, you know, it's sort of that, maybe that like Bill Gates thing of like, oh, Bill Gates was advanced in this because he just happened to be in a place where like his parents had access to computers before everybody else. So maybe that's kind of what they were drafting off of on that. They're suggesting that data was responsible for the 1987 stock market crash. (laughs) By taking out 1,507 computers. And it is also funny, sort of like in that the way that they visualize tech, because nobody understands it. It also does that like sort of like the fear of tech because nobody understands it where it's like, oh yeah, this, kid can just take down the whole system or you know the you know the bad guys plot is essentially like that superman three office space kind of thing of like let's gleam off a little bit of profit and you know just take a little bit and nobody will notice but also doing something so tangible as like we have the power to take down these like oil tankers with the internet which is like how like that actually is a point that like would be better made in a movie like now but it's just like i don't think the oil tankers have like a wi-fi connected right it's not like how every car and every like boat now has a computer chip in it and is connected to the internet like these oil tankers are old as fuck there's no way they have computers that are connected in any way when they're out on the ocean. <laughs> Zero percent chance at nineteen ninety five. Creative, like predictive. This was the expectation. Technology. Yeah, like this is like their idea of what might happen in the future. I guess. Yeah, that, but, that, I get that's the weird thing. It's sort of weird thing about this movie is it's set in the present, but it's like treating things like they're sci- like a little bit in the sci fi future. It's sort of like 
doesn't ever totally rectify that. Not that it like detracts, but it's just like a weird like two plates to balance where you're like, I'm doing both these at the same time, even though it doesn't totally logically make sense to have them both balance at or the like, same time. Here's what's happening in this crazy subculture that you're not aware of. Or also, I love the another thing about the like, we're early tech here is everybody's like, there's a thing they bring up multiple times where they everybody has four most common passwords, <laughs> which are love. love, secret, sex, and God. It's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, people were doing like, three-letter word passwords in 1995 and being like, I think I'm good. Yeah, I'll, like, make this password my wife's name or something. Like, so this was this was before people were using the word password as their password. Apparently. Yeah. couldn't even say characters yet. <laughs> I remember these weird um, commercials that AT&T had probably, like, around the same time, like, 1993, 94. And there, there was, like, a series of, like, 10 or 12 things where they were like, have you ever... Have you ever bought concert tickets from an ATM machine? Have you ever tucked your kid in from the beach? You will. And then, like some of the things they got right and some of the things are like partially right. I, I can't remember what all of them are, but it seems like that was somewhat related. Yeah. I mean, earlier today we were talking about how in that movie, The Net, Sandra Bullock <laughs> orders a pizza online and has it like and delivered. It's mind blowing. And everyone was what? freaking out like, what do you mean you ordered a pizza using the world wide web? <laughs> I would never dream of such a thing. Unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, a sort of transitioning off that and kind of adding on to that point, I think your fourth point of defense was something we sort of mentioned was how this movie tries to make hacking look cool and you feel like that really works here. Yeah, so there's a few things that I noticed that they did to make hacking look cool. There are like some ingredients to an interesting, aesthetically interesting hack um, and making it feel like the movie was moving while these kids were just sitting at computers. The first was you put sunglasses on the kid, which yeah. I mentioned. Oakley's in this movie. There were like Oakley's and like some of those small sunglasses that like e-girls wear now. Sorry, guys. One second, I got to put on my hacking shades. Yeah, to put on my hacking shades, got to put on my leather jacket, got to put on some Prodigy, and then I got to turn all the lights off in my room, and then I'm just going to, like, type in various graphics. As Do you notice as they're hacking, there's, like, animated, like, text, like, word art, like, popping up on yeah. the screens? Yeah. And like a graphic of a donkey will just like show up out of nowhere. Um, so they did that to like, you know, add a little spice to it. And especially in that scene when um, Dade and Kate are sort of having the hacking war on the TV station, they have it, they make it seem like a video game. Like the text is first of all, really big on the computer screen. So you can read what it says. And there's just like these random graphics popping up that like correspond. And I'm like, okay, they're typing on a black background with like green text, yet there are somehow these really high fidelity like images of like, like a fist punching someone like coming up on their screen. How is this happening? But it did make it somehow entertaining to watch. And also the camera work. What they often did is that they would oh, yeah. just 
take the camera and they would either spin the kid or they would walk around the person in circles in constant motion while they're typing to make it seem like something is moving or something. Is oh, wrong. yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> manufactured movement throughout this absolutely. where it is just they are sitting and it's just like, how can we zoom in or zoom out or spin around? I mean, the final like the big hack there's they go into like phone booths and like hack from like <laughs> phone booths and the phone booths then they they start start it and then when they get into like the oh now we're hacking we're going into the computer like you see and all this and then they spin the phone booths around like it's all the characters in phone booths and they like spin them around like it's almost like a doctor who like spinning around thing and it's just like how can we get <laughs> it's sort of ridiculous when you're just like a kid in a phone booth typing and it's just like, <laughs> let's, uh, let's spin them. Let's, I, I don't know. How do we, how do we do this? The actor, like the actors, like after the scene is over, just like going and barfing into a trash can at Grand Central when they were filming the scene. There was a, there's at least one like slow zoom while someone's looking at a computer and typing like a slow zoom. And then behind them is like a chroma key green screen with just like numbers flying around all over the place. Yeah, so the green that's one way to make it look interesting. And then also you have to get a stencil to put on top of your keyboard and then spray paint over the stencil. Oh yeah, that was like a cool cyberpunk. So that, so that your keyboard has like some design that serves no purpose at all. And I guess it's notable though, maybe obvious, like how much all the kids like look like they're super into hacking all the time. Like the, it's like the funnest activity possible. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can go to the, the cool club and rollerblade and play you know the vr video games but like when i'm really locked in is when i'm at my computer and like there's even a scene where they're at like angelina jolie's mom is like a rich author or something like that so she has a very nice apartment they're having like a house party and the group of guys this is before she joins sort of the team they like find her computer and are like oh my gosh like they've like it's the coolest thing they've ever seen and then angelina jolie's character like comes in to like hook up with her boyfriend and sees them there and is like not like what are you creeps doing get out of here i'm a high school person trying to get laid she's like you know what i'll do i'll do sex later let me like come join you like typing because that's the best thing in life most the most thrilling thing about life (laughs) right Okay, so forget about sex. Hacking is life's greatest thrill. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> yeah, and another thing, we we spoke about this earlier, but like the graphics they use to depict like what is happening while they are hacking were also like, a. it took up a big part of the movie. Like all of these pillars with like green lights and trying to um, communicate like what the server room looked like at this company. Um, so as they were hacking, you were seeing what it was they were actually doing and like impacting. Also, the villains had an incredible hacker lair. Incredible. So they were in this like room filled with, they believe it's like the server room, the IT room. Yeah, it's like the cybersecurity room at this, uh, the Minerals Corporation. Usually it's like a broom closet somewhere, (laughs) like a real office, but in this corporation, It's like this huge room with these like columns that represent the servers and they're all lit up in like blue and green. And then the two villains are at this 
massive console that looks like if you're in like a recording studio, like your, your soundboard, but it's all just like hacking controls and a gigantic screen, like a huge, huge screen. Yeah. And, um, and Pendula just hangs out there all day. Yeah. And Pen, Pen and Teller, Pen is, is in there in his tiny sunglasses hacking. <laughs> Yeah, and they just, it's like they can, on the screen also, it's, again, how they sort of visualize it. It's like, oh, we can see somebody's in here because, like, this is it. It's not like, <laughs> you know, it's it's not like they were notified at the time. They're like, oh, look on the screen. Like, it's, uh, you know, GPS and you see a little, or like a sonar like a and you see like head. a dot. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, there there's somebody here. So, yeah, again, the, the, not something that you would probably notice if you were a real hacker but like something to visualize it so that it's uh, digestible for the audience yeah absolutely and they kind of did a back and forth cut like in between whoever's hacking and like whoever's getting hacked so like in real time it's almost like they're playing xbox live in a way like where they're having like react shots where the villains are like, oh, they got us. And then like, you know, the hackers are like, yeah, we like got in. And it's all happening in real time as if it's like um, this like synchronous communication when in reality, it's like you probably don't know you got hacked for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the villains, I think that's sort of the fifth and final point that you have of defense is sort of these almost like cartoony movie style villains and how they were cast and how they work in the plot yeah they hang out in, in the gibson right yeah they which is the room we were just describing so the main super villain fisher stevens the two main like hacker bros are fisher stevens and Penn from Penn and teller and fisher stevens plays the main villain who goes by the name his name is eugene but he goes by the plague the plague right. the plague, the plague. <laughs> So he just for a setup, he's sort of like he's the corporate hacker. He's the guy who like I was hacking and I've like sold out, but I sold out so that I can steal money from you. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. he's what they call. And maybe this is a controversial term now, but a black hat hacker, a malevolent hacker. And he's employed as like the IT information security guy at this company and installed this worm in like the garbage file that is slowly grifting cents off the dollar um, a la office space and he is getting rich off of it so i'm trying to remember what is lorraine brocco's character margo margo and what, what i mean i'm guessing i'm just saying like what does she do oh like how is she involved i think she works at the company and is sort of the partner so i think she's sort of it's it's one of those things where again some of the plot is a little bit unclear, but I think it's like they became a couple because she gave him the info that you know allowed him to like get this hack in, and then they're like, well, we'll team up and we'll like get out together. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. I'm just uh, so it seems like she's like uh, a higher up at some company, and that's who they're stealing the money from. Yeah, she she's she works at the same company that he's the IT person for. So it's all like we're okay. we're eating the machine from the inside kind of approach to it. Exactly. Which in many ways I'm like that's cool. Like I don't mind these these villains stealing money from like the big corporation, but then it turns out that this is where the plot gets thorny and I've read the Wikipedia article like three times. <laughs> 
still don't fully understand where they're like trying to use their hacking powers to sink a bunch of oil tankers, which would ostensibly kill a bunch of people on the oil tankers, right? Um, while they're capsizing. So it, it becomes more nefarious than just like, you know, stealing money from the one percent. Yeah, it seems <laughs> like they it seems like they make a big jump because what happens is like they have the, you know, office space like skimming off the money thing, and then Joey or whoever goes and you know he's doing the hard hack of the Gibson to like prove that he's because he's kind of like the guy who's doubted and like he's also like the most norm core person in the group where he's just like I don't know if you're cool enough to like hang out with us hackers so he's like well I'll go get the Gibson and he just like takes a random file and it's like part of the thing and he doesn't even like check it or anything it's just like oh this part of the thing that you know is actually reveals that it would be that they're stealing the money, but like he doesn't even check it. But as in a response, the plague goes like, oh no, if they find us, we'll be in trouble. So let's blame them by causing a fake, by setting up this virus that will take down again, like hundreds of lives and blame it on these high school kids. It just seems like they're, if you're such a good hacker, it seems like there would be an easier way to <laughs> get this than like this huge escalation that you just jump to. Yeah. And like the file, first of all, I think it's on like, I, I can't remember if it's on a CD or like a floppy disk. That's definitely a floppy disk. But for some reason, when this kid Joey hacks the Gibson, he like puts the worm file on like a floppy disk and hides it in his wall. And it's like, no one would have found that freaking file. Is this the same floppy disk that uh, Dave is like carrying on his Yeah, and so the entire, the entire movie becomes like, you know, Eugene the Plague is trying to get this floppy disk back from these kids and then decides to like frame them or whatever. Yeah, which then leads to like the apex of the movie and one of the greatest scenes of any movie. Of any. Which so like, to physically describe the plague. Because he looks Yeah, like he- I was going to say that. We haven't talked about him yet. He looks the most cartoonishly, like, goatee villain yeah. of all time. Like, what's yeah, going true. on with that? Like, everyone looks all, like, cyberpunk, like, great wardrobe, great styling on, on these teenagers. And ostensibly, the plague is also a hacker and should share some stylistic sensibilities. But instead, he dresses like an Edwardian vampire. <laughs> And it makes no sense whatsoever. I think it's just maybe a contrast to be like, well, these kids are cool and like old hacker is lame. He's wearing fuzzy vests and, you know, has it's like wearing Talbots, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like wearing stuff from Talbots in like year 2023. He also skateboards around like. He like he grabs a he's at part of the movie when he's doing nefarious things he's like grabbing on he's skateboarding around but he's like grabbing back he has a car with him he's like grabbing onto the car and skateboarding around it is like weird like trench coat like nefarious ways and it's just like man you just don't look cool at all like you are my favorite scene in the movie by far is the the skateboarding grabbing grabbing the floppy disk from this uh, while riding yeah. on the skateboard. Yes. How would I describe this? They're trying so the plague and Dade set up this location where Dade would like hand off the floppy disk to the plague, and the plague decides to do this by there's like he's in a limousine and he's hanging on to the side of the limousine, <laughs> but he's on his skateboard. So it's like when you see like 
guys on their skateboards and their like dog is like pulling the skateboard, but it's a limousine. And he's like wearing this like flowing like cloak or trench coat. And he's like skateboarding on the side of this limousine and the limousine drives past Dade and they do like the handoff. They don't even stop the car. He doesn't stop moving. And then he's just like gone into the night. He's a very stylish villain. I mean, it 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 depends. Debatable. <laughs> Debatable. He has he ha, he's a villain with a style. I don't know if he would be stylish. Depends on your taste. He he's got a style and he sticks to it. And yeah, <laughs> it's also funny, you know, backing up with that, uh, talking about like sort of his over the top villainy and the like internet age that this happened in. The reason why Dade is willing to give up the hard drive is because he basically the plague calls and threatens him and is basically like I will like put your mom on the top of all like the most wanted lists and she will be like arrested immediately if you don't do this and it's just like it's that thing with the computer era where it's just like wait so are people just going to like see this mom on the like most wanted list and being like huh I've never heard of this person. She wasn't here yesterday, but I guess she's the most wanted criminal in America. So we better go yeah. like arrest her. And then like, what would the court proceeding be like? Is he going to like hack into a bunch of old files and be like, here's like leave a paper trail so that she can be convicted of anything. Cause like, if she's arrested for all this stuff, it's just like, no, I didn't like embezzle and murder five people. Like I have a yeah. mom in and New York we'll, city. Like, and then it's like, yeah. And then like, She'll go into the prison system and we'll delete her records. So she just disappears into the prison system. And I'm like, yo, those records were not digitized in 1993. <laughs> and also, like, she'd still be around. It would be like, hey, why is this woman here that we have, like, no record of? Like, should we yeah. just let her out? She, it seems like there's no record that she did anything. I guess it seems plausible because all of those pranks they pulled on the FBI guy actually happened. Although it didn't really ruin his life. It was just like an inconvenience for it's him. It's interesting to me because now I'm like, oh, yeah, you could like screw with someone's personal information and like delete them from the system. And I could totally see someone getting like lost at Rikers in the system because there's no record of them having being there and they have like no like way of communicating with the outside world. But in 1993, I'm just like, yo, like to the audience of 1994 like that makes no sense <laughs> yeah. whatsoever it's it's very weird like some again it's that disconnect of like this is set modern and it's doing things <laughs> that like kind of might be plausible now but it's so it's sort of yeah. science it's like present science fiction in a weird way yeah. which is like that which is sort of an oxymoron but I guess the, the, the part with the, there's like the montage where they're like terrorizing the FBI agent. and Yeah, there's an FBI agent who comes sniffing around because the plague puts like, puts them all under suspicion. So they're being like followed and watched and monitored and stuff like that. So it's supposed to just describe like, here's the extent of what they're capable of. Like you can, you know, uh, I forget who he's on the phone with, but they're like, sir, uh, you're, you're on record here as being dead. He's like, <laughs> I'm what? Yeah, they're in the middle part of this movie, sort of before, you know, in in the like once the clicks established and before the final thing, there's lots of ways they kind of just need to show that they're good at hacking for a while. So it's like messing with the FBI agent or, you know, Johnny Lee Miller and Angelina Jolie's characters are, you know, having like a 
hack off to like you know they decide See, to battle where it's just like you're gonna if you you're gonna have to date i get to take you on a date if i win this hack battle and she's like that's no, not gonna happen leave me alone and so they do all these little like hack offs between each other just to like i think it's just a way of like solidifying that they're good at hacking in different ways yeah and i guess like sort of opens up the possibility that someone could end up on the 10 most wanted list yeah and also just like expanding the audience's understanding of what hacking can do yeah i think it's like a device to set set up the story so that it's more understood when like eugene the plague takes it way further sure yeah Oh, I have one more thing to say about Penn, who's kind of like, he doesn't really know what's going on. I think, I don't know if he's like complicit in this worm garbage file, like oil tanker plot by the plague, but he has kind of a cool look too. He almost looks like Matthew Lillard in like 30 years, (laughs) but as in, and he's in, he is very, very much looks like an IT guy. He's wearing like a blue button down. He has a fucking pocket protector. And he, except they put these like tiny, like cyber, like John Lennon style sunglasses on him. <laughs> and he looks like really cool, in my opinion. Um, that to me is how like an aging hacker should look. <laughs> Yeah. It's like that was a weird choice for casting, but generally, I think the casting in this movie is very Yeah, good. it's pretty cool. Jill, uh, Penn may be a weird choice. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought he works as like the IT dude. And as I'm looking at this picture with Penn, I just have one more thing to say about their like hacker lair at this company is that I totally think the Matrix like ripped off this aesthetic. I mean, I was going to mention it at the junk tour, but it's just like, oh, this is a movie the Wachowskis like clearly love. There's no way that the Wachowskis didn't like draw on a lot of this when they were making The Matrix. It has like the fingerprints of all the stuff they love kind of splashed across the page. Yeah, they, they, they borrowed some some things for sure. They definitely did. <laughs> I guess... um. As far as the casting, I guess there, there could be an episode of this show about Matt Lillard because I personally think he's, I think he sort of proved himself to a lot of people when he was on uh, the recent season of Twin Peaks. Although throughout the 90s, he was kind of playing the same character in like five or yeah, six Yeah, he plays movies. the same character in this movie. But that whole time he had a wide range and no one ever knew. Yeah. In this movie, he plays essentially the same character he played in Scream. Uh, right, right, which was like a trigger, maybe two years later. Like this, like unhinged, like kooky teenager who's like, fuck the man. <laughs> right. And um, Johnny, was his name Johnny Lee Miller? Yeah. Is a sick boy in train spotting. So I guess, like, without it really being on purpose, because this all happened ahead of time, you know, there's there's one kid from Scream, there's one kid from train spotting. We got Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. It's, a, it's a very hot cast. A very oh, I mean, Mark cast. Anthony is in the Mark movie. Anthony he makes an appearance as one of the FBI agents. Even the kid who plays Joey ended up being in like Bring It On. Yeah. Jesse Bradford. Yeah. He ended up going on to be in more teen movies. Yeah, and I mean, this was also like a launching point for Angelina Jolie just in general. Like, um, the amount of reviews that mentioned that she's like John Voight's daughter 
because there's like no context right. for people at this point is like kind of funny because it's like oh no that's just like angelina jolie that's uh yeah when nepo babies were just, celebrated yeah another nepo baby <laughs> i saw that she was in a movie prior to this one called cyborg 2 but i don't know anything about it sounds like a kid kind of movie though the, yeah this was this was at least her like first big starry role and you know it's pretty easy to like you know her star quality is there from the start where you're like oh yeah like i think probably one of the weaknesses for me is just generally how much more charismatic she is than johnny lee miller in for terms. sure yeah. but it's just like it i mean just, he's got he's got charisma in train spotting for sure but i think it, johnny lee miller trying to figure out like what people in the United States sound like maybe didn't work out so well for him. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like a charisma mismatch in this movie. Not saying that he's like a terrible actor or anything, but it's just like, it's not, it's, it's unbalanced. It's a clash. Yes. Yeah. I think he's definitely struggling with the American accent throughout this movie. Oh, absolutely. His inflections are out of control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess we should probably just like transition. We're sort of in the junk drawer already with a lot of these points, uh, but I, I think you made a solid five. But like, are there any more junk drawer ideas that you have things that sort of didn't fit into our points that uh, you want to share? I got really into this morning, like when I learned that there was a tech consultant for the movie. I was really interested about this like world of like early 90s, like hackers. And I kind of got deep into it and it really sounds like they based the character Dade off of this guy who is the information security consultant named Mark Abin. His pseudonym was fiber optics spelled with a PH like P-H-I-B-E-R. Um, and he would kind of headed up all these different hacker collectives like the Legions of Doom, the Masters of Deception. And um, the Masters of Deception actually faced like a similar like FBI investigation and I believe were like convicted and and he like possibly went to jail for a year when he was only 15 or 16. So he was like this prodigious child hacker um, and part of these communities that the movie seemed to be somewhat based off of. And I didn't have a ton of time to like get deep into this, but I really want to like understand more. I want to become a hacking cyberpunk historian <laughs> now that Hell I yeah. love this. Go for it. But like even just reading about that, I'm like, wow, this is like an entire like New York City subculture that I feel like I know nothing about that seem to have like an actual like physical presence um, via this internet cafe. They had when this guy, Mark Abinay, the, the, the consultant, got out of jail for hacking. They threw a party for him at Irving Plaza, which is like a pretty big like music venue. So that means there must have been a lot of like pro hacking like people as part of this community. And I'm like, who are they? Where are they? What's going on? I have I so many questions. I have so many questions. I'd love to know who played at that party. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even within this movie, that's kind of how they treat it, where you know, Dade sort of keeps his profile low that he doesn't like, he gets in with the hacker group, but is it immediately like, Hey guys, you know me, I'm like the world's most famous hacker. Cause I'm the kid who got arrested when he was 11 or whatever. And he, but then once they find out about it, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're that guy. And it is sort of that like <laughs> cult of celebrity aspect to it. Also speaking to the, when he gets arrested, that, which is the very start of the movie when he's arrested as a little kid that scene is 
very funny to me because, again, <laughs> it's like early tech and they are, you know, he's hacking into this system and doing this huge hack. And the way that they respond is with a SWAT team with like assault rifles at this suburban Seattle house. And it's just like they're like busting down the doors. And it's like, well, if you know this is a hack, it's like, A, it's just somebody at a computer. And B, like you could probably go in with like, you A, you could probably just like knock at the door and like somebody would probably answer. And you'd just be like, are you the hacker? And put clefts on that. But no, they go like full like, we have a terrorist in here. We need to like. Just in case, like, what is what is their idea that the hacker might have? Like, bombs loaded throughout the house? And even then, like, why are you bringing assault rifles? I don't know. It's a big case. It's a cyber terrorist. <laughs> I guess that's, that's a good example of, like, a lot of the exaggerations throughout this entire movie. Like, Multiple kids get swatted during yeah. this movie. Yeah, so, I mean, this th- this movie is a great case for defunding the police. Uh, <laughs> they yeah. just have too much thing. They're reacting with far too much force for what the crime is and the threat level it possesses. Another thing where it's just, like, the absurd over-the-topness is at the end when, the like, because all the hackers get arrested and then they sort of, but they have this bigger hacking team that helps. And eventually they, like, hi- hijack this broadcast and, like, broadcast that oh this is actually the plague doing it and everything and you know the kids are like watching this while they're like being led into like holding rooms at the jail or you know being processed or whatever and then the people watch this on tv and then they're like okay i guess you're free like we arrested you a minute ago but like walk out the door like something showed up on tv it has to be true again i don't know how law enforcement like works where it's just like this mom showed up on the most wanted has to be true this ha- weird hacker looking like TV host just said that it was actually this other guy. So I guess we have to set these kids free now. That's yeah, due process. Matthew Lillard, like on the broadcast in Times Square, they like hack all of like the video screens in Times Square. And he's just up there and he's being like, and the plague, like put this virus and this capsizing the thing. And I'm like, first of all, there's like no sound on the videos in Times Square. <laughs> Second of all, like, no one would, like, question this kid. Like, you, with this movie, like, you really, like, cannot ask questions. But I love that, like, the hacking micro-influencers ended up kind of saving the day. Like, these, like, two dudes who are broadcasting the hacking. The hack the planet. The hack the planet. planet. I should also say it's of note that there are some aspects of this movie that feel, like, a little dated and gross. (laughs) There's lots of, like, there's there's moments where, like, Ew, where it's, you know, insisting that Angelina Jolie's character, like, you got to smile more kind of thing. And or there's like a transvestites personal ad thing in there. And there's also like multiple like nudity scenes with like very short but brief like nudity scenes with Angelina Jolie, who's like a high schooler in this movie. And you're like, I noticed that like the gender politics are not good, and it's like, no. you know, Dave is all pissed because it's like a girl beat me at a video game, <laughs> and then there are these very perplexing montages that kind of like stop about halfway through the movie they right. start happening oh my but god these like would be these weird cuts where like Dade is thinking about something. And it, it's ostensibly like a narrative, like what's going on in his mind. Yeah, it's a all very these, like vivid dreams. Yeah. Yeah, like these like old timey movies, like sort of spliced together, but in this like old timey style of like 
women getting like strangled <laughs> and like beat up and like like there's like domestic arguments. So I'm like, what are they trying to say and like do with this? Like say that like Dade has this like latent anger towards women because that other than like, you know, comments like you should smile more that doesn't really come out in his character or development or lack thereof. No. Yeah, it was, it's almost like they they had an idea to throw in these like um, I think Darren Aronofsky called them hip hop montages, but it's a little faster than that. They're like five seconds. They could have easily cut those things out. They're so aesthetically like mismatched from the rest of the movie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think by the time like the last act of the movie is happening, none of that's in there at all. It reminds me almost of like the same type of like jarring cuts and montages that unfortunately we're in like eyes wide shut where they like cut to these like old timey sequences of oh, things that seem completely out of place and like tonally like like dissonant from the rest of the movie and I, i'm like why did they do that and also they seem to abandon the idea like halfway through hackers so like they just stopped out of nowhere and were totally not explained yeah it doesn't it's not explained like it should have been something that was like at least throughout the entire movie, which would have been bad because they're stupid, or they could have just cut out like the two or three there in the first like 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's also, you know, I, I do find it on a lighter note, the idea of going to a new high school and like the very first person you meet looks like Angelina Jolie would just like break my psyche in like so many different ways where I'm just like, what is, what is happening? Like, uh, I guess related to I'd that, be so stoked there, <laughs> on I, this new high school. It'd be a little closer to the reality if at least one actor in the movie looked like teenage Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, every nobody looks nerdy in this movie, which is kind of funny for a. There's no about. nerdy hackers. Everyone just looks like they came from like the hottest rave of all time. I think the kid Joey Jesse Bradford's character is supposed to be like the nerdy kind of like normie hacker, but yeah, he, he, he but he's more normie than nerdy. He's just like yeah, he's just like a dweeby kid who doesn't have his internet handle yet. <laughs> Everyone needs their handle. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a new thing as well. People um, figuring out that you could separate your online life from your IRL life. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, and like having a handle like really defines your personality, but like also like gives you sort of some sort of liberation from the constraints of your everyday world. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm the biggest nerd ever at school, but I'm so cool online. I'm so popular online. <laughs> I don't know. Last thing that was very funny when I was watching this movie is I was watching and they get to the like final hack scene where they're like just about to like kill the Gibson computer, like shut it all down. And my power went out like right then, like just like, oh, so oh like God. it was almost time perfectly. I'm like, what just happened? Uh, did, did they hack yeah. me? Am I, am I in this movie right now? And so that was just a very fun, you know, it's like a, riding star tours or something you got the it full the vr experience from, yeah the, from the social dilemma those three guys were watching they're pulling the, the levers like you know what let's really screw with this guy let's see what happens yeah i i love that i feel like you know i really like showing this movie to other people i'm like have you seen hackers like we gotta watch it together and i've had such mixed results with this movie like <laughs> I really, I, I hope this podcast like so like sells it to some people who wouldn't otherwise watch it, um because 
I don't know. It, it's hard get, convincing people to watch it. And when I do watch it, sometimes it goes, well, you don't have to put this in the podcast. I'm because this is not, I just sound really stupid right now. But I remember we watched it like with a few of our friends and I had just like eaten like an edible and I was like cr- laughing so hard. I was like crying and everyone in the else in the room was like dead silent. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> Why do I like it so much? And now I've like convinced myself why I like it. So. You were upset that I'm, I was the only one on your letterbox that didn't give it five stars or four and a half stars. For, for me, it's a four-star movie. I think it's a pretty solid four-star movie. I'm a little bit lower on it, but I think it's like fun and it it at least has like vision, even if it's not. Does it always work? And there's things where you're like, what is, why is this happening? I also feel like it's, you know, seeing it now, it's a different experience. Like the further you get away from when this movie was released, b- because of the way that it's dated, it you know you receive it in a different way than if you had watched it in the theaters in '95 and just been like, "Oh, this is very cool subculture." Though maybe it would be something you you know distance yourself from, where you're like, "Oh, that that was kind of cheesy," but you can accept that more if you haven't watched it. So I don't know. It's like a give and take. But I, I don't think yeah. it's a, it's definitely not one of the movies where I'm like telling people like don't watch this. <laughs> I know there's persons defending it, but avoid it. It's not. I try. I, I consider myself like a trying to become more of like a '90s cable AV archivist, and this is definitely a, a very strong artifact of that era, as far as like it's, '90s. It's uh, genuinely tech. one of my favorite movies. Just as a '90s tech artifact, that's a. Not even just like as a movie or as part of like, I don't know, some other group that it could belong to. It says a lot about where technology was historically at that point. Awesome. Well, before we get out of here, is there anything you guys want to plug? Jobber stuff, Hellraiser stuff, anything, letterboxed accounts? I will plug Jobber. Yeah, uh, with Jobber, uh, we came out with an EP in October. You can buy the tapes from our record label, Exploding in Sound, or you could buy it digitally um, on our bandcamp, jobber.bandcamp.com, for lovely wrestling themed songs for you. And we're working on an album and we'll be playing around New York. Not sure when we're going to get out of town beyond that. We all got full time jobs over here. But look out for us on the World Wide Web. We're playing South by Southwest. We're playing also. South by Southwest. Um, Hellraiser has no shows planned, but we have an album that came out over the summer. Satan's, uh, not Satan's file, the other one. Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Heaven's Gate. <laughs> you, you, you'll, figure out, you'll figure out your album titles at some point. It's okay. You, you do yeah. a lot of music. I can't keep it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I will just say, if you like this, maybe listen to the Matrix sequels pod that we did a while back. That's you know more techie related stuff. A bunch of bunch of people doing defending those, and also that the podcast is going to Tree Fort. The date has been announced. It's the Sunday of Tree Fort at four p.m. and it's free. So if you happen to be in Boise, Idaho. Come on out and hear a podcast. Do I know what the topic is going to be? Do I know who the guest is going to be? Absolutely not. But that sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. It's live. So <laughs> unlike these, which we edit the weird parts out of, that won't be happening. The weird parts will be there. Have you yeah. done um how many wrestling 
pods have you done for the show? Oh, yes. I guess since Jobber is on the show, the only I technically I've done two wrestling pods. I've done my friend Allison came on to defend Baron Corbin. I remember um, that pre pre bum ass Corbin. It was before one of his best runs. And then also I did a podcast on Beat the Champ, the record by the Mountain Goats, which is their pro wrestling album. And it's actually my favorite Mountain Goats album, which is a very controversial opinion to hold. (laughs) But I will say you did a good job endearing Baron Corbin to me after I was was not a huge fan of his. And I, I like him a lot better now because of this show. I also really liked the episode on Good Charlotte because I was like, I was like a 12 year old super fan of that band. And it was cool to listen to people analyze it like in this day and age. I will check that episode out. Yeah, it's with it's with Jess from Tonkred. Oh, right on. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I didn't know she was a good Charlotte head, too. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks both of you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I am glad you got to, you know, hack the planet with me here. Hack the planet. You gotta hack the planet. Once in a while, you gotta do that. Hack the Gibson. <laughs> and remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. 